and welcome to WMQ&A. I'm Dan Grote. Matt Lazowitz is on assignment, probably in Gotham City somewhere. Uh, by the way, just throwing this in there, uh, top of the episode, hope y'all are listening to Bat Chat with Matt and Will, Matt's other podcast. It is great. It is a delight. Uh, I love it. Uh, anyway, welcome to our C2E2 special. Guys, I just flew in from Chicago and boy are my arms attached to my shoulders. Uh, I uh, happened to it was a great time. It was a great time. It was the first pandemic since uh, New York uh, in 2019, and I uh, was just happy to be out and about and uh, on the floor and just soaking it all in. Uh, great time out there. Uh, hung out with uh, my boys, uh, Zach and Adam from Battle of the Atom. Uh, Ian Gregory, one of our other writers at Comics Except, was there too. Uh, just great time hanging with people. Uh, also talked to a lot of creators, and uh, I'm going to share some of those interviews with y'all uh, today. Uh, tonight, you're going to be, uh, today, you're going to be listening to uh, six interviews. Uh, we talked with, uh, let's see, we talked with Mark Sable, Stephanie Phillips, Cami Garcia, uh, Joe Pruitt from Aftershock, a couple of the folks at uh, AWA, um, uh, and some other friends about stuff they got going on uh, he, as they wrap up the year, as they look ahead to uh, 2022. Actually, I have one more interview I did not include in this batch because uh, this episode went long and I had all sorts of uh, fun editing it and throwing stuff together, uh, as you could tell from the music that went into, uh, that led into this intro. But uh, anyway, uh, that's enough rambling. Let's, uh, let's kick it off. Uh, there will be some ambient crowd noise in these interviews, so uh, forgive that, you know, did my best. Uh, but uh, let's kick it off with uh, Mark Sable and have some fun. All right, kids? All right, I am at the table with uh, Mark Sable. He is the writer of uh, Miskatonic at Aftershock, uh, the second volume of which, Even Death May Die, uh, just launched pretty recently. Mark, how you doing? How's your show going? I'm doing well. Uh, it's going well. Happy to be, happy to be here. Yeah, uh, you know, and that's the vibe I'm getting, man. A lot of people happy to be anywhere right now. Uh, you know, it's, it's, we're all easing back into uh, doing, doing the circuit, as it were, uh, being out in the wild. But, um, Let's talk a little bit about about Miskatonic. As I mentioned, you just started the uh, the second volume. Uh, you know, you put out a few things at Aftershock. I'm seeing copies of God Killers here, uh, etc. Um, how uh, how is how is Miskatonic going? Uh, you know, what are you seeing in terms of, of response to the series? I actually I just had a whole conversation with uh, Joe Pro, the publisher at Aftershock, over there, and uh, he's, you know he seems to think like he seems to think things are going pretty well right now. You know, apart from the whole publishing comics in the middle of the shipping. Uh, yeah, that's, <laughs> I've been, yes, thankfully Miskatonic wasn't affected, but almost every one of my other books was like, has been like on a boat somewhere uh, at some point. But uh, no, you know, working with Aftershock has been great. Um, and Miskatonic's gotten a really, really good response. So, um, you know, did, uh, and for, for those of you who haven't heard of Miskatonic, it's about a, um, one of the first female FBI agents, kind of based on actually some real people uh, in the 1920s, investigating like what appear to be these anarchist bombings, but turns out to be Lovecraftian horror stuff uh, going on. Um, and so it's, uh, it's a mix between crime and and, uh, and and historical fiction, and of course horror. Um, it's gotten an incredible response. Uh, it, I, I've really been blown away. Um, it's been nice to actually see people at conventions and hear that, like you know. I've only been able to judge it online, but uh, it did well enough that, yeah, we had, um, they asked me to do, 
it's not quite another volume. It's it's a, the Death May Die is like a it says a one shot on it, but it's really like the equivalent of two issues. It's 40 pages, but it's giant size, like magazine size, and gave me a chance to kind of wrap up the series. Although there's always still more stories I can tell, but I felt like it. I like the way Miskatonic ended, but I was like, okay, I, I definitely have a, a bigger finale that I'd love to do. So it's just been fun. I love the characters, so um, I've been really happy to get back to it. That, that's great, uh, you know, and, and certainly, you know, one thing I think that's that, that's interesting is, you know, you're playing in a lot of the, the themes and mythology that, that H.P. Lovecraft uh, set out, or, you know, did, but also, you know, Reclaiming it for a modern audience and, and kind of peeling away some of the more problematic elements of, of Lovecraft, which, you know, it's out there. You can Google it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, that was part of the part of the reason I was really wanted to have uh, a woman protagonist was just Lovecraft stories never have one. Um, and, you know, like, he only, I, th I can think of even only one really good uh, female character he's ever had. So that was part of it. I felt like... The race stuff has been done really well with, like, um, you know, with Lovecraft Country and there's a book called The Ballad of Black Town that's really good. So I thought that would be a good perspective. And, and there's just, like, turns out that there's just a lot of historical, like, in the period where his stories are set and now, there's, there seems to be a lot of historical parallels in terms of, like, there was the first Red Scare going on when people were, like, anybody that was a... Um, considered subversive was being rounded up but mostly that tended to be immigrants and J. Edgar Hoover was involved in that he's a character in Miskatonic and I, mm. I felt like there was a lot of parallels between him and, and Lovecraft although at least Lovecraft created like really cool stories you know yeah. as problematic as they may be um, yeah uh, in the meantime you also just recently had a uh, successful Kickstarter for a, a, a you know combination uh, comic uh, tabletop role-playing Game. Uh, how, how, how is that coming along in terms of, of production and, and fulfillment and stuff out there? It's going really well. So it, that's chaotic neutral. Yes. Um, and for those people who didn't back it, we're going to start to make it available on back of kit soon. Um, the good news is the comic itself is completely 100% done. Um, I'm now like putting the finishing touches on the module. I want to play test it. Um, some of the backup material. So Ryan Brown, who's but it's sitting across from me. This <laughs> God hates astronauts yes. and um, you know curse words, and uh, he's going to do this like he's doing this backup story for it. That's like used to be these things called ship tracks, which are these like religious. Oh pamphlets. yes. And so um, there's a famous one called like Dark Dungeons that makes it's like telling kids like don't play literally don't play Dungeons Dragons or you're going to go to hell. And so he and I are working on this. I mean it's written and, and he's going to illustrate it. Just bring his own thing to it. Um, basically the satirical version of that, so that's going to be in the back, a backup as well. So those are the things that are still need to be produced and then, you know, the, we're, we're looking at uh, April as the, as the delivery date, you know, for, for getting it printed. Um, and I should mention my, the artist on that, Chris, Chris Anderson, who's the co-creator, has done an amazing job. But, um, you know, obviously global shipping delays, you, you never know, but I feel like, you know, we wanted to have the book at least done before we launch the Kickstarter. It's something I've learned from doing other Kickstarters and backing many is like, yeah, if, yeah. You, can, if you can do that, it, it just takes a lot of pressure off and it hopefully gives people confidence that we're going to get them something good on time. And you get a few, few, uh, few fewer, or a few less emails of people going, but I want it now. <laughs> 
But uh, no, absolutely. Uh, talk about the, the, the playtesting element because you know obviously you need to find uh, you know guinea pigs isn't the right word, but you know hopefully a few friends who, who uh, you know are, are up for a good uh, new game they haven't played before. Yeah, so uh, I'm still figuring a lot of that out. The good thing is I have I run it you know so like chaotic neutral combination you know fantasy comic and and Dungeons and Dragons module. I run a you know, I'm not a Johnny come lately, like I've, I've been running for years uh, a weekly D&D game. Great. Definitely my group is going to test it. Um, I was also on, there's another creator, Aaron Campbell, on like Dark Sun D&D campaign that he does a podcast for, which is worth listening to. And I was a guest on there. I will probably play, play this with them. And then I may reach out to, may see and reach out to backers. Because and, and, it was one of the rewards originally that nobody took me up on was like, oh, I'll, I'll run the adventure for you. But since nobody did it, now I can be like, okay, if there are backers that want to try it out. I, I don't want to only limit it to friends because I want to get, I mean, I think my friends will give me honest opinions, but I think the more I can sort of test it and see what works, see what maybe doesn't, see what it needs, um, and the more variety of opinions I can get on it, the better. Um, I've done, I've written one module before for a company called Lamentations of the Flame Princess. It's like a, a clone of D&D, like a very dark, like sort of heavy metal clone of it, um, it's, it, which hasn't been published, but it was interesting. Like I wrote a draft of it and I play tested it twice, and I learned so much from it. Like to the point where I mean, the essential like elements, like the dungeon, would be the same, but like oh, okay, the way I present it would be totally different. And I don't want to only just run it and get players, but I want to get dungeon masters like input on it because yeah. the idea is obviously it's for them, so it needs to be something that's ideally easy for them to run they don't have to do a ton of prep but i'm excited that that is like i'm excited for i feel like it's going to be all fun and you know it just gets to be an excuse for me to play dungeons and dragons so absolutely now you know when you play dnd there there are, are some people who want to kind of keep the game moving and there's some people who are going out of their way to uh, to break the game or get dis distracted at every turn uh you know when you're creating something is there a benefit to having the people who want to like break the game on you, play, to see, if, you know, to find those holes. So I've been lucky that, like, if there, nobody's broken, try to break the game in a, like, malicious way, right? Sure, sure. What I, what I like, and it's one of the, it's, it's the huge, the biggest difference between writing for a module for a role-playing game, or running one, even if you're not a writer, versus, like, writing a comic, it's just like, I, you know, players have a choice, and I think if you're a bad dungeon master, you're like, you know, you railroad players. And yes, you're like, well, yes. it looks like a choice, but really, no. It looks like you can go left or you can go right, but the right's caved in. You have to go left. So I try to give them as much. The problem with that is, like, players will always do something unexpected. Now, for me, as a dungeon master, that's the most fun thing about playing. It makes it, like, then I'm not just, like, reading them, you know, reading it, and then I'm not filling the function of a computer where I'm just, like, okay, I'll roll the dice for the monsters. It's like, okay, when I'm running it, like, it's like improvisation, you have to think on your feet. So what I'm trying to do for the module is, I mean, you can't plan for any contingency, but trying to see. So that's what I'm actually looking for, is players who are gonna do things that I don't expect. I mean, I'm building into it, so like, you know, my philosophy is sort of like, if players wanna play as heroes, they can, but like, they don't have to. Like, uh -huh. they can ally with anybody in the game. There's like different factions, there's cults, or they can just play for themselves. But so I'm trying to give them as much freedom as possible. But then, you know, you can, if you try to plan for every single contingency, it's 100 pages and it's yeah. impossible as an empty master to run through. So there's, there's a balance, but the 
yeah, I'm actually am kind of looking for people. Like that's the stuff that I really want to get out of the playtesting is people, you know, doing things that I that I don't expect. Absolutely. Uh, that all sounds awesome. Uh, let me rewind a little bit. I'll ask you a question I ask a lot of my guests uh, the first time they come on the show. What are some of the first comics you remember reading? Oh boy, so um, the first comic I remember ever getting, but maybe for that, like, was like an early Avengers comic. I mean, early for me, not for, you know, probably yeah. not if, not like in the 60s, but whatever. Not early for like music or something. Yeah. But like, it was with the Avengers were like, fighting this robot called Red Ronin, who was this like okay. giant robot that was meant to fight Godzilla when Marvel had that license. Yes. Remember them being inside the robot and thinking that was so cool, but books that like were really sucking into comics were um, G.I. Joe, uh, the Larry Hammond G.I. Joe, sure, and yeah. Chris Claremont's X-Men. And I was just, um, and especially like when I was growing up, they started coming out in the summer on a monthly basis. Yes. I'm um, sorry, on a bi-weekly bi basis. Yeah. And I remember like, and just both of them were, they stood out from other comics because, you know, like they, every comics had like a continuing story, but they, they were not, this, they were like soap operas. They were like, you, I felt like I had to read the next issue. They were like, um, now everything is kind of like that, but like back in the age when there are much more self-contained issues, it was like, oh my God. And also just the X-Men stuff, like characters would really die and yeah. like, you know, back then they would stay dead and like there were massive changes in it. And so those are my huge influences. When I got, you know, when I get older, like I, I, like, I had, I think a lot of people in high school or my generation, like probably like drifted away from comics, but then found like yep. The Dark Knight and Watchmen and Sandman and things like that, that, that brought me back. But those are, you know, those are probably all the, the ones that really were responsible for sucking me in. All right, listen Mark, I really appreciate you taking the time to uh, chat with me for a little bit. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for coming back. Uh, I am at the table of Cami Garcia, uh, currently uh, uh, promoting the uh, Teen Titans, Raven, Beast Boy, Beast Boy and Raven books uh, from the uh, DC uh, graphic novels for Young Readers line, uh, formerly DC Inc. Um, Kimmy, how is your C2E2 going? It's great. How about you? Ah, not bad. This is my first show since uh, 2019, so it's nice to be out, you know, back out in the world. Um, how about you? Are you, like, doing multiple shows this season? My first one was um, Fan, uh, Fan Pop, uh, no, Fan Expo Boston. Okay, okay. And then I did New York. Uh-huh. And, um... And then this one, I mean, like, I'm okay, and I did Baltimore, I'm okay as long as they're requiring people to be vaccinated and all Oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, my son actually just got, he's uh, 10, he just got his second dose today, so. Awesome. Mine are teens, so luckily they're all vaccinated. All right. Glad to hear it. Uh, so, I uh, wanted to go back uh, a couple of years, because obviously, you know, you've been a novelist for quite some time. Uh, you know, DC is starting to get into the bookstore market, the, the all ages, adult, uh, young adult graphic novel market. How, where do you enter that picture? Are you pitching them? Are they pitching you? So, um, I don't remember now how many years ago, but um, when they very, when they first started, uh, one of my friends, Danielle Page, who did Mira Tidebreaker, yes. she was one of the first people um, that she, there was like three or four people that were like the first people they approached. And um, she told me they wanted to talk to me because um, 
they were interested in me working with them also. And basically what they said is, we were, we were looking for um, you know, young adult novelists to take our characters and kind of you know, introduce new readers to those characters without needing to know like tons of continuity and, um, and, and do like kind of more realistic takes, which appealed to me because like I've always been a fan of Batman and you know like characters that are not all always in costume and like so I said well you know I was I, well first I said like well who's available I wanted to do Joker and they're like we're not doing that and so um, which is how Joker Harley Criminal Sanity was born uh-huh. so uh, so then they I said what about Wonder Woman they're like Laurie Hell Sanderson as Wonder Woman. Okay. So I said, um, well, I like the Teen Titans. They're like, we need, we would love someone to do the Teen Titans. So I actually thought they meant like plural. So I pitched a series, and they were like, okay. well, we weren't doing series, but we really like this idea, so we'll do it. And um, it was basically I pitched taking the characters and doing a really realistic take where you know they're you know no green skin for Beast Boy until he transforms, mm-hmm. regular clothes, so that like they could be at your school. They could be people at your school, and you wouldn't know they have powers. And um, I pitched the idea of doing origin stories before doing a group book, because they were saying, you know, you know, we we're surprised like Teen Titans the shows are so popular, like, you know, like we would think they would be even bigger. And I said, well, I think one of the tricky things about the comics is it's really hard to introduce characters in 22 pages when there's like four or five of them. Of course, you know? yeah. And I said, in a young adult audience, that is not going to work. Because young adult readers, they're, you know, they're used to reading novels. If you want them to give a graphic novel a try, they're going to expect like to really get to know the character and get invested. So I said, my suggestion would be we do the origin stories first and then we start to bring them together so that by the time we have them as a group, everybody's really invested in them individually. Mm-hmm. And Dan loved the deal, loved that idea, and Jim Lee, and so um, we did that. And then after I, the pitch kind of had, it had individual origin story kind of descriptions, and then Beast Boilers Raven, which was almost a joke, because I didn't think they would ever let me do that. And then it had some group book ideas. So. They said, let's start with Raven. It's closest to my Beautiful Creatures series with my writing partner, Margaret Stoll, which is also kind of gothy and dark, you know, witchy. Mm-hmm. So we decided to do that, and they started, they gave me a bunch of art, you know, art to look at. They were like, you know, we want you to pick an artist. And I liked all the artists, but I was like, it was like, you know, when you see it, I was like, this doesn't really feel like it's the right thing to me. So I started like going on Pinterest and like looking myself because I'm way old. So I don't like I barely even used Instagram yet. I was on it, but I didn't like know how to navigate searching it. Like I, I can find anything on Pinterest. So mm-hmm. I um I went through looking and I just searched you know like Teen Titans comics and you know like I got George Perez and all kinds of stuff. Sure. And then um, Gabriel Piccolo's work started coming up because he did all this fan art that was super popular. So it started like populating okay. my Twitter. Mm-hmm. And I said, like, this is exactly what I want because I want them in regular clothes. Like, this person's already drawing them like this and they're adorable. And DC was like, well, you know, we actually know he is. His stuff is really good, but he's, he hasn't done comics. He hasn't done a comic. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, I don't see why that's a problem. That's because you have also not done a comic. <laughs> so I was, I basically just, they loved his stuff and they were like, you know, 
maybe if we get a layout artist, like, we could do it. It'll probably be more work for you because, like, he, you'll both be new, basically. And I was like, it's fine. I don't care. I was a teacher for 17 years. So I was like, okay. wow. I'm very patient. And I was like, and I'd rather just it be the right thing. Yeah. You know, one, people always ask me about beautiful creatures. And Margaret Stoll and I, Margie and I are best friends. We didn't write that book to be published. We wrote it on a dare from seven teenagers. And... <laughs> I really believe that, like, the best work comes from, like, you know, two people who are, like, their vision's really aligned, and you put your chocolate and peanut butter together, and you get a Reese's. So I was like, I would rather have this kid, and I don't say that to be obnoxious, I say that because he could literally be my child. Mm -hmm. Like, he was, like, 23, you know, and I was, like, in my middle 40s. So, like, and I said, like, I'd rather give this, like, person who clearly you know, it's been, like, dedicated to doing this unpaid for so long, like, he would probably love to do this. Mm -hmm. So they wrote Piccolo, they wrote Gabriel, and he did not reply to many emails. They also told me I could not message him, and, like, because I wasn't following him. He wasn't following me, so I couldn't secretly message him. Okay. And they were like, do not talk about this on social media. So I was like, okay. Okay. But they were like, if he doesn't reply soon, we're going to have to fix someone else. Yeah. So finally he replied. He thought it was a joke. He didn't believe it was like a real, that was a prank. So finally he replies, and then they had him do a poster or something, and then once he did that, they offered him the gig, and then he took it. So, you know, and like I said, since he was already drawing them as kind of relatable, regular teens, like our vision for the characters aligned really easily. And obviously there was a learning curve because, like, you know, the origin story, like, we had to create tons of other characters. Friends of Raven. Raven has a foster sister and a foster mother in the story. Like, we had to create all these other characters, so we had to, like, populate the book. Right. But, you know, it was really fun, you know? Like, we, you know, we had Pinterest boards of, like, clothing and haircuts and different people. And, you know, like, the rest was history. Like, we just really... You know, DC really let us do like what I pitched and, and use his, the kind of things he was good at, and I think that's how you get something really cool. How has your working relationship with with Gabriel evolved over the course of three graphic novels so far that we're aware? I mean, of? one thing that's really nice about it is he's not as tip. Like he was very shy in the beginning. Like. Like, he didn't want to overstep. Like, he didn't want to make too many suggestions. He's like, even if I asked his opinion, he was very, like, he would give it to me, but he he would never, like, kind of be like, I want to do this instead. And so now, like, he'll just be like, I want to change the layout. Or, or I, what if they do this instead? Or, you know, he, like, he expresses his ideas. And, and also, like, for Robin, which is the next one coming, the fourth. Oh, okay. That okay. is um, that we announced. There's a there's a the covers in the back of these bullets Raven, so it's not a oh. secret. Okay. Now, for that one, um, you know, like I actually like said, you know, here's my idea. Is there anything else you'd like to see? Not the hiccups, but like. Even in Beast Boy Loves Raven, like, I was like, what animals have you never drawn they would love to draw? Like, what would you love to see Beast Boy transform into? So, part of one of the things that I do is I never write a full script until I know who the artist is. Okay. I write, like, what I call a breakdown. It's like an outline, kind of like a beat sheet. Sure. But I don't write the full script until I know who the artist is because, you know, Brian Michael Bendis has famously said that, you know, a script should be a love letter to your artist. Yes. So, to me, I don't know what the... Like, I don't know exactly what the scenes and the panels and stuff are going to be until I know who the artist is. And I know what they like to draw and what they're good at drawing. 
you know? Like, Gabriel hates drawing super elaborate backgrounds. He's great at it, but he's not like it. <laughs> so, like, I get a certain number of establishing shots that are very intricate. Mm -hmm. You know, like, we have a double-page spread in Raven of, like, all these famous places in New Orleans. But, like, he's not want to do that for, you know, 20 pages. But he'll draw as many bears, lions, cheetahs, wolves as I want. Mm -hmm. So, like, I feel like if you know what the artist likes, one of the things is I never give him the full script either. Okay. Because, okay. like, for in Beast Boy, he knows the breakdowns. He knows the basic story. But, like, in Beast Boy, I do things like Gar is a sneakerhead like Gabriel is. He collects sneakers. So when he gets to the page in the script where he finds out that we're in front of, you know, Gar's closet full of sneakers, he's super excited. <laughs> and to me, that's important because when someone is... I work on other stuff. He works on this full-time okay. for years. Okay, sure, sure. So to me, the key is, like, I have to give him surprises and fun things so that he, you know, doesn't burn out and doesn't get bored. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, at the other end of the spectrum, while well, you've got this, this you know, uh, young adult graphic novel series, you also did uh, Joker Harley Criminal Sanity, uh, where you're working on a black label, which is, like, the mature reader's line. Um, are you working on these things simultaneously? Yes. Like, how are you switching gears between... I have to work on them simultaneously. I mean, Joker's done now, but I had to work yeah. on them simultaneously for two years. I have the same editor for both, which helps. Okay. So she would manage my schedule and basically be like, I would have to get a certain number of pages done for the layout artist and everything, Gabriel the work, and then she'd be like, okay, now I need you to work on issue five of Joker. Now, that was very heavily outlined, so I always knew it was gonna happen, but you still have to write all the dialogue and the nitty gritty. Um, I couldn't, like, writing dark stuff is not hard for me. I actually love writing Joker. Uh, my speeds are very much like YA or super, super dark. Okay. Like murder, crime, or, um, so I loved writing it, but it is a serial killer procedural. So I basically, what I, what's hard is to switch the tone because like Joker has a very specific tone in his captions and stuff. Whereas, you know, this boy is like funny and uh -huh. so what I usually did was I would do a couple days at like blocks of each. So I do like three or four days of Joker and then like a couple days of Titans. It was very hard. I couldn't. With novels, sometimes I can switch and do one project in the morning and one in the afternoon, but it, it would just take too long to switch gears. Sure. So if I just would knock out 25 pages of Titans and then switch to Joker, it was easier. Um, so we've got, got Robin coming next year. That's fantastic. Uh, one thing that I, I didn't realize, uh, looking at your, your rack and your body of work here, uh, the X-Files novel. Uh, how, how long ago did that come out? So, The X-Files is probably the only reason I took the DC gig, because I had so much fun doing it. Okay. And I only did that. I never intended to do any IP, but I'm a huge X-Files fan. Sure, So, sure. my friend Jonathan Mabry, who's a very famous, he does, he is the creator of V-Wars. He's written hundreds of Marvel and DC comics back in the day. He's also the author of um, Patient Zero, a lot of young adult and adult um, horror and, like, thrillers. He and I are good friends, and he was doing um, an original series of X-Files anthologies, prose anthologies for IDW. Okay. So based in, you know, and obviously IDW, Chris Carter, and Fox have joint narrative rights to the X-Files. So he was basically doing this series where 
they were like stories that would fall between episodes of the show. Okay. By all these famous writers, screenwriters, all these people. And um, he wrote, he, like, he's like one of those people who can talk me into doing stuff. Like there's very few people, there's like three people who can always trick me into doing things. Okay. And he was like, called me up and he's like, I want you to be in another anthology doing X-Files anthology and I'm like there's no way like I want to do it but I can't re-watch and like refresh on the canon and everything because I'm I owe this novel that I haven't yeah. finished and he was like what if you didn't have to re-watch and I was like that's not possible without doing a crappy job and I'm not going to be in with all these like fancy adult authors and do a really bad job mm-hmm. and he was like well it's not necessary if you're going to do Teen Wolf and I was like like I want you to do an origin story about Mulder as a teen, like kind of like the what makes him a believer, like pick any age but teenager. Okay. So I was like, okay. So I did Mulder at 17 the summer, at almost 18 the summer after he graduates from high school. He's in um, DC with his dad for the summer. Okay. This, 19- this is long after his sister's been abducted, correct? Yeah. yeah. Okay. 1979. Okay. All right. And. I did this story. It's it's a serial killer. It's got like it's basically it does link up to Samantha's disappearance, but there's okay. like a mystery. I do the book of the story, and then you know you get notes back. I get notes from Jonathan, and then it will have little notes on the side that are like here are the notes from Fox or whatever Chris uh-huh. Carter's team. And John, at the end, Jonathan called me up. He's like, okay, I just got a call from my guy at Fox. And he was like, how do I get more of this? And what I didn't know was that Jonathan had been pitching teen X-Files novels for a while. Okay. And they kept saying it do, it would never work. And, he's, and he is the kind of guy, he's not an I will take no for an answer to that. Sure. Especially when he knows he's right. <laughs> so he was just like, I just figured I would prove it. And he didn't tell me because I am not a person who, like, performs well under that kind of pressure, uh-huh. in a fandom especially. So he was like, I just figured I'd let you do your thing and then I, we would see what happened. So Fox wanted novels. My editor at Macmillan happens to be the president of the X-Files fan club in, in college. It wow. was a huge X-File. Okay. So okay. we sold them two books. Jonathan was going to do Scully at... Uh, age 15. Okay. And I was going to do Mulder at the exact same summer, which meant Mulder was, um, it might have been 18, I can't remember, 17 or 18, but it's in continuity with their sure. actual ages. Yep. Scully's in Annapolis, Mulder's in D.C., so there are crossover locations, but obviously they can't meet. Yes. We write the books, like the most fun thing I've ever written. And what I didn't know is, after seeing the outlines and partway through writing the book, Chris Carter had told them he was going to make them canon. He liked them so much. But, uh, but Jonathan was also smart and did not tell me that until after I finished writing. Because I would have freaked out. Right, But sure. it was really fun. I got to have the smoking man. I got to create a backstory for Mr. X. Like, it was, like, literally the most fun thing I had ever done since Beautiful Creatures. So when DC approached me, and I love, I grew up loving comics and stuff, like, I was like, this seems like the X-Files. Like, it'll be super fun. Mm-hmm. And it was. I mean, writing for deep, writing the Titan stuff is really fun. Favorite, favorite X-Files episode? Well, I love the one I referenced the most. I can't remember the name, but the one that I referenced the most for this, like I rewatched sure. the most times, uh-huh. is remember the reoccurring serial killer that comes back? Okay. He okay. comes back. They have to go... Um, oh, wait, no, no, no. Sorry, it's not that one. 
that was that was for some kids. My favorite, and I actually feel like people think they're in here because of the. I make a reference in here. Uh huh. And I think that people think that I wrote um, totally blanking. You know, the the cool the conspiracy theorists. Oh, the lone gunman. So I have. It's weird because I should have seen it. I have a conspiracy theorist. And then I have a reference to someone else, and I think people think that one of them is one of the gunmen, but it's not. Uh, but the reason I put the major in uh-huh. is so. So there's. Do you remember the episode where the ex-fighter pilots think that they are they're seeing the lights? Okay. It's a UFO one. It's one of the UFO episodes. All right. All right. And they think they see these lights, and they're basically going nuts. And it's a. It's like a. I mean. And they are, they come in because, you know, Mulder's like, maybe there are UFOs. And Scully's like, absolutely not. This is ridiculous. We Sounds need to right. figure out what the lights are. <laughs> so in mine, the major was in um, the Air Force. And you, it's kind of like a nod to that episode because he is now a, he believes in aliens and UFOs. He's a full-blown conspiracy theorist. Okay. And so that is a nod to that one. But the weird thing is people think it's a nod to the to lone gunman. Which now I'm annoyed because I wish I had done that. So I'm like, I should have done that. But like, I feel like it's cheating to pretend that it is because it's really not. I mean, if there's if, if, if there's room for like a third book that is like the young lone gunman. I love the lone gunman, and then I also, I mean, I really like the the smoking man and, oh, sure. and the Mr. X backstory. I really liked doing. The most fun thing about the X Files is so. The one thing Jonathan and I agreed on is because it's for young adults. We were like, you know, a lot of young adults have not seen the X Files, so we wrote the books so they read like regular thrillers. Mm-hmm. And if you didn't know the X Files, you would just read it like a thriller. But then if you actually knew the X Files, it's like Easter egg in heaven. So, you know, like I introduced Mulder and everything, and like, so it's fun because if you're a real fan, like even the cover. There's all these hidden things in the covers, and then in the beginning of the books, there's these redacted memos, and my editor, the fan, wrote those. Nice. They're part of the end pages. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Like, so, end papers, like, it's just, like, such a, it was such a fan thing. Like, I probably would have done it for free. My information was, like, do not tell anyone um, that like, ever. Everyone <laughs> wanted to do that for free. But it was one of those things where, like, you couldn't believe someone was going to let you do it. And that was kind of, like, with Titans. Like, I was, like... I was like, of course they'll let me do stuff. They're gonna make me do boring stuff. But then when I like pitched it, they're like, sure, you can do all that. I was like, really? <laughs> to DC, I was like, I, you know, and, and Danielle said, listen, I pitched all this stuff, and like they're letting me do all of it, and it's super fun. So that's why, since my friend was doing it, that I trusted. I'm like, you know, if they're gonna let me do really creative stuff, I'll do it. And that's the thing, like it's a relatively now, you know, new line. You're going for a different audience. You know what I mean? Like you're not beholden to. Right, but you don't know because sometimes with IP they tell you you're not going to be beholden them and you're beholden. Fair, good note. And yeah. I heard that from a lot of people. Sure. Not necessarily at DC, but like yeah. about projects. So then yeah. when that didn't happen with X Files, I'm like, this must be a fluke, like that I just happened to get this really fun project. But it's not. I mean, I did a. I'm very not well known, but I did a WoW story for World of Warcraft. I in there, um, the folk tales and fairy tales. Um, 
you know, the it's like a big, beautiful, it looks like an art book almost. Okay. And each story is illust- you know, has illustration, and I did a, I mean, and it's canon, so I got to talk to the lore master to make sure I didn't mess anything up. <laughs> and I did this whole goblin thing, and it was super fun. Like, and that wasn't, that, I mean, that one was harder because most of the stuff that I've done, like, the X-Files was canon. My act, like, I didn't expect it to be canon. With DC, I don't have to 100% stick to the continuity, but like, wow, you do. And there's like a lot of, as I said to them, like, I don't know enough about WoW to be doing this. But they had read a short story that I wrote in an anthology of Neil Gaiman, is it? And oh, okay. It's uh, one of my only adult things I'd ever done. All right. And they said, like, we love this, fa- the fairy tale feel of it. We want you to do one of these for us. Mm-hmm. And then they said, and we have a lore master. I was like, okay, as long as the lore master is going to help. So I was like, as I don't know all the, like, and I would ask these really precise questions like, well, well, before the island, you know, whatever erupted, and uh-huh. I was like, I, like, you just have yes to galleons or no to galleons. This guy knew so much stuff. Like, I, I just was, I couldn't even keep track of all the stuff he knew. That is, I didn't know enough about my, as much about my own books as he knew about Warcraft. That is saying something. Loremaster is definitely like. And he was the Loremaster for like a five, five of them, like Diablo, all these different ones, not just Wow. That's so I'm like, intense. that's a cool, like very <laughs> Kevin Smith like job to be the Loremaster. Well, uh, Kimmy, I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to me about uh, the Teen Titans graphic novels and the X Files and the Loremaster. <laughs> Thank you so much, and just so people know. The next book is Robin, it is Dick and Damien, but I also have a new standalone graphic novel from the young adult uh, line coming out in the fall. It is Constantine with Isaac Goodhart. Ooh! It's really, really fun. And in the back of Beast Boy Loves Raven, there's a preview. It's not colored because we didn't have enough time, but you can see the, some of the art in the beginning of the book. All right, people should definitely look out for that. Cammy again, thank you so much. Thank you so much. You know, we're just strutting for fun, strutting our stuff for everyone. We're not here to start no trouble. We're just here to do the Super Bowl show. All right, so I am at the booth of artist Gavin Smith from uh, Wave Blue World's Dead Legends. Yes. How is your con going so far? Uh, it's great. It's been an awesome show. C2E2 is always one of my favorites to come to. Uh, not too bad of a drive, even though I had to wake up at 4 this morning to get here on time. But How far are you coming from? Indianapolis, so it's okay. about a three-hour drive, but I uh, also have to pick up my friend who lives about 45 minutes. It's almost out of the way, but it's, <laughs> it works out. It's, uh, it's a good good time. I'm here, happy to be here. It's a great show. Uh, are, you, are you, like, is this your first post-pandemic show, or are you just jumping back in? No, I've done a couple. I uh, started small. Uh, I did a, a couple shows in Ohio, uh, one in Kentucky. I did, I did Lexington, Cincinnati, Dayton. Uh, then I went crazy and went to New York, and that was a blast. Okay. New York Comic Con was great this year. So I haven't done a show since New York Comic Con, so it's been two months. But I've been sitting at home uh, working. I'm drawing Star Trek Mirror War now for IDW. Awesome. So uh, I, I was finishing up issues for them instead of uh, 
hit the road like I usually do. Yeah. Now, speaking of Mirror War, you've got a lot of copies and prints and what have you. Uh -huh. uh, let's have a conversation about Jean-Luc Picard's guns. Yes. Uh, it, uh, this is specifically the Mirror version, so obviously yeah. he's evil, but he's, uh, he's also hitting the gym for uh, sexagenarian. You'll love to see it. Yeah, he, uh, <laughs> he's not playing around. Like, this is uh, no cheat days, no days off, you know? <laughs> he is hitting it hard. There's a... There's a an issue from like one of the runs before I was involved of him like actually just working out like real hard so uh, like when I got the job uh, my editor at the time Megan Brown she's just like everyone's just jacked and hot like just you know sleeveless outfits just go for it make him ripped as hell and I was like okay I mean, so, that, that's yeah. a classic trope right evil, yeah. evil is sexy yeah evil and sexy Picard <laughs> it's great and Riker, no, no slight to you. Oh yeah, Riker's, Riker's putting in the work too. <laughs> it's hard. He stays humble or whatever the rock yeah. song is. Yeah. yeah, no, we got you. Uh, but uh, in the meantime, we've also got uh, volume two of Dead Legends out. Your yes, uh, series my... with James Maddox, Fighting Tournament series. Now, uh, you guys did a silent issue. Uh, Again. The fourth chapter of that. Yeah. Uh, two characters fighting in the rain. Uh -huh. uh, Amazing. Uh, I did get to talk to James a little bit about that when the book came out. Uh -huh. But like, when you're, tell me about that's writing that issue from your perspective. Because uh, it seemed like he didn't give you a ton of, of you know, notes or blow by blow. So we did it again uh, in volume two. But for, uh -huh. the, for the first uh, time around, and volume one, issue four, we, it was uh, that was almost what the whole series like came from I was just like hey we do when we do this thing we first started talking about it, I was like I want to do an issue that's all one fight scene and then James was like let's just make it silent and I was like oh okay <laughs> so so him making it silent was his idea me having one full fight scene was my idea uh -huh. uh, great collaboration already um, but we kind of hit the notes that we needed to hit it was all like bullet points like the whole issue of volume one uh, the silent issue, probably the script could have fit on a page. It practically did. Wow. Uh, it was just like, make sure you hit this thing, this thing, and this thing that we talked about. Uh, but other than that, you know, go nuts, do your thing. <laughs> and so I did my thing. Uh, but like I said, we did it again in volume two. We were like, we had so much fun with the silent issue, we're gonna try again. <laughs> and like this time we made it crazier because it's a three-way gang fight. Um, three different gangs all fighting each other at an abandoned Red Roof Inn. And uh, so that time we had to have a little bit more structure. We had to have like an outline of where everyone's going to be, where the fight starts, what's behind door X, what happens when we go around this corner, and uh, just kind of keep it all straight. So that one, like while there wasn't a set, uh, there, and there never is a set fighting script whenever we do fight scenes. Like usually... Uh, James just lets me go wild. He's just like, all right, these characters fight for three pages, do your thing. And I'll do that. And, you know, dialogue, it's all him. And, you know, we, he, uh, uh, like, body language and stuff. It's like, you know, my department. And, like, so I'm still trying to tell the story. Um, and, like, we, we still go buy things. So, like, if there's something that's not right, it's like, ah, maybe you should try this instead. That tells the story that we're trying to get across a lot better. Um, 
But yeah, like this, this one, the second time around was more of a challenge because of uh, like just the geography of the place. The first time we were all in one place, we're in the middle of a ring. This time mm -hmm. we're running all over the place. It was uh, uh, a lot, but <laughs> we got it done. Uh, more more bullet points than usual. Now uh, you're at a show with the the the. The father of the silent issue, Lethal Larry Hama. Yeah. That the famous GI Joe issue. Uh, yeah. Have you been tempted to go kind of be like? Did, Man. <laughs> I now now that you say it, maybe I should. <laughs> but uh, I don't know. Yeah, maybe I. Yeah, now you got me thinking about it. I don't know. I know it's in my head. Where's he at? Uh, I don't think his table's far from here. I think it's like on the corner on yeah. that side. Okay. Yeah. I'll have to give him a shout at some point. There you go. Yeah. Um, yeah, so uh, Star Trek now. Yeah. Uh, tell me a little bit about how you uh, got that gig and got to start playing in the Star Trek world. Um, well, I, I've been talking with uh, a couple editors from AEW for a couple years. It's been on and off, and it's never really worked out. I've had some other tryouts for other things, and okay. it was uh, either bad timing and or whatnot, or like if I was busy with something, or they were busy with something. It's just never really worked out. And then uh, after Dead Legends 2, I did a couple of uh, things where like I did a, like a fill-in, uh, like a one-shot of this thing with my buddy Eric Leakey from this Australian project. Oh yeah, okay. And uh, then like I was working on a pitch with my buddy Rich Doeth, uh -huh. and uh, I was, you know, periodically showing things to uh, Megan Brown, the editor, uh -huh. uh, and she was like, "Hey, we're looking for someone for the new Star Trek run. You are you interested? It's going to be eight issues." And like, I had initially got in touch with her because I was about to get ready to start Dead Legends three. Ah, uh, that's not a spoiler. We're we're doing Dead Legends. I mean, three. it's it's on the back of the book. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, um, but uh, like, I was just looking for like a one shot fill in and something. You know, yeah. Like, so I didn't expect like a whole run. And uh, they offered it to me. I'm like, well, it's dumb to turn this down. So I tried out. Uh, it was like me and a couple other guys. I don't know who, the, who else was trying out for it, but uh, I uh, got it in the end and uh, just jumped right in. Like, started binging Star Trek so I could be more familiar with the world. It's been a uh, been really fun digging in. It's like it's it's not something that was my go-to. Okay. Uh, like I didn't hate Star Trek. I really like Star Trek, but like I never really sat down and really, really watched it. And uh, was able to binge the whole Next Gen series. Had a had fun with that. A couple others I've been watching as well. Some DS9. I watched all of Lower Decks. Um, uh, yeah. Right now I'm trying to get through DS9. Yeah. I mean that's a crazy thing. There's like it feels like there's more Star Trek, more new Star Trek content. Oh yeah. Out than ever before. Thanks to Paramount Plus and that basically being their like main driver. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I I picked up Paramount Plus recently and I'm um, just watching all of that too. So it's working out. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Gavin Dave, man, I appreciate you talking to me. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks again. Well, they called me sweetness and I like to dance. Running the ball is like Mickey Moore Mance. We had the goal since training camp to give Chicago a Super Bowl champ. Alright, so uh, I'm over by the uh, the AWA booth. Uh, I'm here with uh, Dulce Montoya, one of the editors. 
and uh, Lisa Wu who handles uh, marketing and PR. How are you guys doing? How's your con going so far? Fantastic. <laughs> yeah. Come full of sugar from our booth. Oh yeah. Six twenty-six. Lots of candy. <laughs> um, so uh, AWA launched uh, like uh, almost two years ago now. I think uh, when the resistance came out. Yeah. Uh, yeah. March twenty twenty was our launch. That, it was yeah, quite at the height of COVID. Yep. Yes, the pandemic book at the start of the pandemic. Yep. Uh, but uh, talk a little bit, uh, Dulce. You've been you've been th with the publisher since before then. Since mm -hmm. I think you just said uh, like February twenty nineteen. Yep. So yep. Whenever that New York Times article ran that like first I announced was there. their yeah. existence. Uh, talk to me kind of generally about the last two years and how the company's grown. Are there things that have changed for pandemic aside? Uh, you know, what are some of the biggest changes, in, I guess, in the company's mission uh, since launch? Sure. Um, well, our mission has always been about putting creators first and letting them, you know, we want to be able to let them take creative risks. We're just kind of their backing for that so that they have a fallback. Um, so our mission has always stayed the same. Uh, we really have a lot of fantastic creator-owned series. Um, for me, it's really important that our artists are also really like respected and paid well and everything because that can be a little hard in this industry sometimes. And that's, that's something that Axel really believes yes. in. He, he's very creative first. Yes. It's always about publishing the best comics ever. Yeah. So. That's true. So, I mean, that mission, we've always stuck with that. Um, in terms of changes, I mean, we've expanded quickly during the pandemic. Um, you know, we've really grown our retailer arm, our yeah. variants, um, and we just have been, you know, getting out there a lot. We have a lot of uh, talks with IP now, and we got Chariot optioned. So that's a big change for us. That's been great. Yeah. Yeah. What's great about this company and, and startups in general that the big two or the big three is unable to do is that we're able to stay very agile in our business and adjust and adapt to whatever is going on. Things like the resistance, even though JMS, you know, planned that out two years in advance, <laughs> yep. did not plan for COVID yeah. to actually happen during launch or anything like that. But like we we're able to kind of adjust to things that are happening in the world that make it very relevant. Mm -hmm. And I think that's something that Axel said several times in interviews that we want to be relevant to today's stories and today's people too. From being very diverse in our lineup to being very inclusive um, in our storytelling. Um, for example, Primos, we just launched that one. Well, we did, we announced it. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's coming out in February, but you know, having that Latinx arm and being able to actually publish in English and Spanish. Mm -hmm. like, I don't think any startup has ever done that in comics. Mm -hmm. um, we're such a young company. We've only been, well, we've only started publishing like two and a half years. And we're having a Spanish translated book that we're publishing in the United States, not by another publisher or anything like that uh, partner. So that's a big deal. And then during COVID, I know I came in in May but they were already doing a lot of things to adapt to the shutdown. Yeah. Like, um, and they were able to adapt quickly because we are small and we all wear so many hats. Dulce is more than just an editor. Um, she's also really good at handing out free comics. <laughs> Thank you. Yes, over. she's very good. <laughs> I just take it. Uh, take it. They're very heavy print. <laughs> yeah, and, um, and you know, they were adjusting to 
support retailers by mm -hmm. hiring me. Yeah. Smart move, Axel. Yeah. And then, <laughs> and then also adapting to people who can't go to the comic book shops by going to webtoons or tapas and letting people kind of see that. Um, and then it's still encouraging them to get it in print. Yeah. You know? So it's kind of good. Uh, I was curious, uh, you mentioned Primo's, uh, this is this is uh, Al Madrigal, who we primarily know as an actor, uh, I think he's going to be in Morbius next year. Uh, yeah. how, how did how did this book come to AWA? Oh. Well, Axel is good friends with Al. Oh. Um, they're both of Mexican descent. Mm -hmm. um, so for them, I know that Axel said plenty of times that there are no cool uh, Mexican superheroes. <laughs> so I think a part of it was like a personal mission. For all of them. Yeah. Um, and, you know, like Lisa said, uh, one of our aims is to, you know, diversify and show the real world be relevant, even though it is like a superhero comic. It's still, the characters in it are still relevant, you know, they're real people that you would get to know, and, um, you know, the fact that it's in Spanish. I'm, I'm Hispanic, I think it's really cool that we're printing, you know, a U.S. version of something in Spanish, because at this point, Spanish is basically a second language uh, in, in the U.S. Um, so, I would say, yeah, it's partly a personal project for Al and uh, Axel. Um, it's also a new venture for Al, which, you know, everybody loves the challenge. It's really fun. It's been fantastic working with him. It's fan he's a very funny guy. Um, and we also, the artist, Carlo Barberi, also from Mexico. Yes. So it's a very Hispanic-made, you know, <laughs> it's, it's uh, like series. It's like everybody always talk about authentic, right, authentic yeah. and genuine. This is authentic and genuine in that all of them are very passionate about representation mm -hmm. and then also making it fun and um, yeah being able to give something back that they were missing as kids yeah yeah absolutely and they both have I think how they met was through like a soccer game through their kids they're both dads. oh yeah they're both, they're both dads so I think part of them very much want to have some kind of build some kind of legacy for their children mm -hmm. and for other people who are in a similar situation you know yeah yeah, they get to see themselves now in a comic, you know? So, uh, passing by the table, you know, seeing all that output, all that content in one place, you guys have put out a lot of comics in the last in just mm -hmm. two years. Uh, what are some of the titles that you've worked on, uh, Dulce, that you're the proudest of or ah. that stick out the most to you? Yeah, sure. Um, Right off the bat, I'll say because it's currently uh, new issues are coming out. Knighted, I'm very proud of. Um, it is a spinoff of our universe-setting book, The Resistance. Um, it's basically our version of Batman, except Batman is a criminal civilian analyst who accidentally killed the hero, and so now he has to step into the shoes. And he's kind of a dope, so you know he's, he's not supposed to be Batman, but he is. Um, so part of it is, you know, just filling in, you know, the shoes that you got to fill in and doing your best and, uh, you know, working with the people around you to do that. Um, and I'm just really proud of the team. Greg Horwitz, fantastic writer. Uh, Mark Texera, fantastic artist. Yep. Very happy to have him. Very proud of that. Um, and it's just a really funny book. And yeah, I remember just putting in a lot of, a lot of like my own self in that too. Um, I'm really happy I've been able to contribute to that. Um, 
And I'll also say from our earlier titles, I think this was part of our launch, Year Zero. Yeah. Um, we have two volumes of that now. Uh, zombie apocalypse stories set around the world. I just love it because it has a really emotional heart to it um, that I don't really... I'm not a zombie person, to be honest, but I just, I loved it. Um, and I love, again, how diverse it is and how, you know, everybody can see a little bit of themselves in these characters. And it's it, it's a it's a series that really can tug at your heartstrings. Um, and the art is fantastic. Um, yeah. Ramon Rosanas, love his work. Juan Jose Reap, love his work. It's a really cool series, yeah. The um, first time you talked to Ben Percy on the phone. <laughs> Oh, yeah. oh my how, how god, I thought that was fake. That low <laughs> we were talking about this at dinner last night. Oh, I really man. thought this was fake. <laughs> oh. Until I, until I did, did like a live interview yeah. like on Zoom, I was like, oh my god, this is a real voice. Yeah, it was nuts. I've never heard a deeper voice in my life. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, if you've got a deep voice like that, call me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Ben's a great guy. He's very smart. He's very kind. Um, yeah, yeah. Call me. Build me a cabin. Um. Yeah. 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 <laughs> no, that, that, that's fantastic. Uh, you mentioned uh, Chariot by mm -hmm. Brian Edward Hill for Silver Trades. Yeah. Recently got optioned. Yeah. Um, you know, when you're... How much, I guess, when you're kind of looking at these series holistically, does adaptation enter the conversation? Um, that's a good question because a lot of times, you know, comic... One of the things that surprised me when I started this job was how much comic book scripts can look like screenwriting scripts. Um, I don't think it really, like, factors in too much just because for Axel, again, it's about the creator's visions. I'm sure that, like, they're thinking about adaptation, but um, first and foremost, it's really about, like, how can we bring this story to light the way that the creators really want it, whether or not it's going to be adapted. There's a lot of cinematic quality to our stories. Um, you know, we're very involved in the art direction, um, and we really try to get the best out of our artists, and I think that's definitely true that we do. So, I don't know if it's like necessarily the first thing we think about. It is certainly something we think about, but really, again, it's mainly about just like creating the story, like the best comic, the best comic possible, the, the best art, yeah. uh, the best storytelling. Because honestly, with it, movie adaptations, right? It's going to get changed. It's not going to be verbatim. Yeah, yeah. You know? Um, it's things like The Walking Dead and everything. I loved Walking Dead. I love the comics. So character-driven. Did not particularly like <laughs> the show. Yeah. Except okay. for the first episode. Yeah. And they just changed everything. I can think of and plenty the zombies of are stories, comics like that. Like, yeah. yeah, it's not... It's not... When they adapt things, it's going to change. Yeah. Because it's a different medium. It's not the same it's a, vision. It's a different medium. It's a different audience than comics, right? But the, the core is it has to be a great story. Yeah. Otherwise, why would Hollywood even pay attention to it? Yeah. So I think Axel, like, in every every time, I, I've i been added to the um, editorial <laughs> meetings. <laughs> and um, it's very interesting. I just sit back and just watch them just tell a great story. And they're like, oh no, this this particular panel needs to be changed. The dialogue doesn't make sense. Yeah, we get very detailed. <laughs> yeah, so it's it's very interesting um, what these editors do. Yeah, yeah, and, and and remotely too. It's it's a it's such a collaborative thing that they do. 
So we're just sort of starting to get back in the habit of, of cons and con season being a thing. Uh, you know, obviously when you guys were putting books out, it was right as, as that avenue was kind of ripped away from everybody. Uh, now a lot of the big shows have all come back within a span of a few weeks. So I, I guess what is what is the strategy for this very different late fall where you've got like New York and Chicago and Seattle and, and San Diego all kind of on top of one another? Well, we weren't thinking too much about the cons uh, coming back, except we ended up going to Baltimore Comic Con. Okay. Yes, that's it went cool. so well. It's a very it's a very special show for me um, because it's run by comic book retailers. Um, and it's such a big comic book show that know what we were talking about going to cons is like we have to go to Baltimore and support the re there's just so many retailers that go there and it really is a fan favorite I think they yeah. said America's like best comic book show or fans favorite or something I think like it's that. also a creator it's favorite too right it is just they, they get a lot of yeah yeah it's just a lot of fun yeah and then um, we did really well mm -hmm. Dulce sold a lot of books <laughs> um, and we got a lot we felt like felt home there, felt very, very comfortable. Mm -hmm. um, and I think from that experience, we're like, you know what? We didn't have plans to come to C2E2, but let's do it. Yep. Let's see the fans face to face, thank them in person, see amazing people that support us like yourselves, you know, they've been supporting us, <laughs> you know, via email and phone calls and things like that. So it's been really great. And then, and then our creators are feeling more and more comfortable about coming out and we want to be there to support them as well and have them um, hang out with our fans and our staff and thank them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So we're hoping to do more next year. We're actually creating oh, yeah, a um, convention plan right now. Okay. So, yeah. But we want to make sure when we get there, it's relevant to what we're doing and um, that we can really contribute to the whole event. So that's going to be important to us. Yeah. Oh, that's that's in the future. What you know, the more immediate. What does the rest of the weekend look like for, uh, for you both? Oh, well, originally we had Michael Morrissey um, of um, Archangel Age yep. do a signing, but we had a he had to cancel because he's not feeling well and he wanted to be responsible, um, which is great. Yeah. Um, we hope you're feeling much better now. Yes, we hope you feel better. Um, so, we're gonna, you know, say hello to fans. She's gonna force more comics on people. <laughs> we have an amazing wheel that you can spin and get free comics and lots of candy. And we have these great mystery tote bags that people can actually, like, sample um, if they haven't heard of us before or they just want to get more books from us. So, yeah. It's gonna be fun. Yeah. Just getting to know the fans. Yeah. That's a lot of it, talking to people. We talk a lot, we're chatty. <laughs> yeah, we are chatty. Chat, chatty is good. That's one of the number one things we tell people when they come on the show. Excellent. But, yeah. uh, and we had a virtual panel today too, oh, okay. um, for Primos. Okay. So it was the first ever, I guess, panel about that Owl Ma Magical is really done for us, so it was good. Yeah. I walked into the screening room, I was like, oh, People showed up for a virtual screen. <laughs> yay! I was like, great, yay! So it was kind of fun. Sweet. Yeah. So it was basically like you were in like one of the panel rooms, but then everybody was like kind of zoomed in. 
questions? No, it was pre-recorded oh, okay, because that's okay. how CTV2 does it, like read pop. Like, so they just showed it like a movie. I see. Okay. Yeah, and people showed up. And people were engaged though. Almost like it was live and they were interacting. People were like laughing and making comments and stuff like that. I was surprised. I've never went to a virtual screening before. Yeah, I haven't either. That's awesome. Yeah. How, how did you, um, last year when it was all the sort of all virtual conventions, did you guys do the virtual panel stuff like yes, that? Yes, we did. Um, we did Metaverse. Um, we also did um, the uh, Brazil C CCPX, I think. Okay. There was a huge con in Brazil, and then we were able to do that. Mike Diodato is good friends with the creators there. Mm -hmm. We're hoping to do more of that. Um, I'm hoping to go to Brazil for real one day. <laughs> yeah, me too. Um, but we did a lot of interaction with um, different press outlets. So, yeah, did as much as possible. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, I was thinking about what other cons we did. Um, we did several. I can't yeah, remember it all. I know we did a lot, but I. Yeah, my head was elsewhere at that time. <laughs> yeah, my, our had, senior editor did, I remember he did a couple of virtual panels with yeah. Axel. Yeah. Like Peter Milligan. Right. Um, John Lees, they all did stuff. Yeah. Ben Percy, that's how I knew his voice is real. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of nice. Yeah. We need to do more of those. Yeah. That'll be good. I'm really glad to hear how the virtual panel went, that like, people were so engaged and yeah, they're like laughing. Yeah, that's <laughs> awesome. See, that's a testament to the quality of our creators. <laughs> yeah, and they're just good people. That's one yeah. thing that I, I love working with all our creators. Me too. They're just so yeah. nice and funny. Yeah. Like Frank Cho is probably like love the most Frank. <laughs> wonderfully inappropriate funny guys ever. So, I think he's at the show. No, I don't think he is. Not at the show? Not, yeah. Oh. Is it Surprise. Baltimore? Yeah. He was at Baltimore, though. I know. I'm surprised, too. He loves these things. Yeah. I got to give him a call. <laughs> it was his birthday recently, so. Yeah. How about you guys? What are you? What else are you guys doing the rest of the show? Yeah. I'm not here. Dan, Dan, I'm a secret <laughs> person. I'm just drinking beer. You're running this Zach, thing. You guys. Zach's a ghost. One guy. Is <laughs> it no. drink more beer? <laughs> I mean, a little That's bit. That's a good mission, yeah. This is my first show since New York 2019, mm, so. Oh, wow. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm doing some interviews, but mostly I'm just here for vibes and to just sort of, you know, yeah, relax. get back in the cycle of doing, you know, doing this again. So, yeah, you know, it's, it's funny. Last year I was supposed to go to Baltimore. I think I made plans, booked an Airbnb and everything, you know, obviously that all went down the, the crapper. But, you know, I'm trying to do more like travel shows like this. That's good. Yeah. Good I reason mean, to take a vacation. I forgot. <laughs> How much I miss cons because I think with a pre previous publisher we did so many cons and it became work. Okay. Like, well, it's okay. still work. Yeah, still but working. I do have a lot of fun but, with these things. But you end up seeing the exact same thing, kind of lose, lost its like excitement. Yeah. And then now that we've had, you know, a bit of a break, it's great to. Um, see our friends again mm -hmm. that we haven't seen in years. I'm going to have dinner with Brian Azzarello and I have not seen him for like three, over three years in person. Um, so I'm really excited about that. Um, and then we're making 
such great connections mm -hmm. everywhere that we've only seen virtually. Yeah. It's nice. And it's also just great to see fans again and interact with people who read our stuff. I love when people just randomly come up to our table and are like, I just want to say you guys are doing great. I've read everything. Yeah. It's all fantastic. The creators you have are amazing. And it's just, it's such a compliment. It's just wonderful. Yeah. And it's actually really fun as a marketing person mm -hmm. to wave somebody down who's never heard of us and then sell them a bunch of comics. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, challenge. Yes. I like that. Buy the mystery like totes. $80 value for 50 bucks. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's nice to see how they get excited like oh I've never heard of you before and then they're like oh this is amazing oh yeah and they take it home with, with them and it's great I love opening up uh, comics to show them what's inside and they're like wow that was awesome yeah so yeah that's great uh, well uh, Dulcie Lisa I uh, really appreciate you guys uh, taking the time to uh, talk with us yeah thank absolutely you so much. thank you thank you we're not doing this because we're greedy. The bears are doing it to feed the needy. We didn't come here to look for trouble. We just come here to do the Super Bowl show. Uh, all right, so I am at the table here with uh, Joe Pruitt, the uh, publisher of Aftershock Comics. Uh, Joe, how is your show going here on Saturday? This is a fantastic show. We are doing phenomenally well. I predict this will be the best show we've ever done. Okay, all right. That's some hype. Now, uh, con season uh, has been... You know, we're kind of getting back into the swing of things now, and a lot of the big shows kind of cram themselves into this two-month quarter between about it. <laughs> October and Christmas. How has that affected what Aftershock strategy is for coming to, like, do you have to pick and choose what shows you're going to at this point? Well, definitely. It's a show every weekend if you really wanted one, and this is my fourth show in, what, nine weeks? Okay, okay. So, um, and I do this show, most of the shows myself with you know, a crew. Uh, this is our fifth show we've done since September. So uh, I didn't do the first one in Portland, mm -hmm. but I've done all the other four. And so it's strategy. It's like, hey, we're we're coming out. We're, we're happy to have cons again. We're happy to come out and meet our fans. You know, our fan base has been growing you know, by leaps and bounds the past year or so, and we want to get out there again and see them and let us see our new product. And uh, we've been we've gone bigger at the shows, bigger mm -hmm. booths, bigger displays, better placement. Uh, we've been the biggest publisher at every show we've been to this year, including New York and here, so uh, in San Diego. So the other show companies don't want to show up. We're happy to take their spot and uh, take advantage of that. Uh, there, there's, there's definitely an opening, uh, absolutely. So uh, Aftershock's been around for a while now, about six, seven years. Uh, six years publishing this month, seven years of the company. That, that's awesome. Um, what, I guess... What has been the, the biggest challenge or the biggest change just in the past year for you guys? Obviously, the pandemic and the shipping issues, you know, there's been a lot of sort of larger things at play in the yeah, industry. Yeah, it's been a, a pretty crazy year and a half. You know, the pandemic, of course, started. And uh, I know we, I think we did a lot of smart things in the pandemic and we, uh, we kept working. We never shut down. We never furloughed people. We never let people go. We actually took on more staff. We actually took on more projects during the shutdown. Uh, we reached out to a lot of retailers at the time, and we were there, showing that we're there to support them as well. We're not going to—we're not only out for ourselves. Mm -hmm. And uh, since we came back from the pandemic, we've never been stronger. Our sales have skyrocketed, to be honest, over the past year. Um, the challenges have definitely been just as we're hitting, you know, a great stride to have uh, paper shortages and having yeah. printer problems and having printers who can't. Uh, the, 
problems at the docks in LA for you know, our trades that have come over from Korea are you know, usually with a two month turnaround. We started sending things three months out and we're still getting them a month late. So they, they come to LA now and they're stuck in at the dock for a month and a half. Wow. And before they, they can't move them. So uh, it's just been a different challenge. Our schedule, which we had really conquered, uh, is all out of whack. But it's, it's everybody because we don't, each week is like, what's going to be delayed this week, either from you know, the from Korea or from the uh, domestic uh, printers we're having. You know, we had a printer who one week says, oh, we're out of paper. We got, uh, we don't have the paper we thought we were going to get, so wow. we can't print anything. So, uh, yeah, we're making, you know, New relationships and uh, rekindling old ones just to uh, get the books out the door. Um, now, you know, speaking personally, I love this past year. I loved I Breathe the Body. Uh, we we're just actually just talking about that on the way over over here to record. Uh, uh, Lonely Receiver, uh, Undone by Blood, other books that Zach Thompson did not have a hand in. Right. But uh, you know, for you guys, what were some of the biggest uh, biggest sellers and biggest surprises? Uh, we live. It's probably the biggest surprise and the all-time biggest seller. Okay, um, all right, the Miranda a, Brothers. Miranda Brothers. When it came out, when we, we took the pitch and we say, "Hey, it's a pretty book. I like it." Did I expect this going to do what what it has become? I, I would say no. Mm -hmm. I'm happily surprised and ha I'm very happy uh, at their end result because that book has just been a it blows out the door for us. Uh, I've never done a book where I've done multiple prints on all the issues. I know three three prints on the fifth issue of a series. Uh, the, the trade went out of print the week it came out. Wow. Um, you know, I did five printings, I think, on the first issue, and it just, it's a, the gift that keeps on giving. Mm -hmm. So the new series just got announced for March, and I rightfully, I think I'm very modestly predict it would be our biggest, biggest selling book by far of all time, uh, even suppressing what it's doing now. Money um, Mass, which came out uh, from Paul Tobin and uh, Andrea mm -hmm. Moody. Uh, it was another big uh, hit for us, our second biggest selling book of all time. Wow. Um, okay. Again, I thought it was a book that, hey, I like it, it's going to do well, but I did not expect to do this well. So, um, Ecstatic, Manic New York, has mm -hmm. been great. I mean, I guess people just like to see people in New York killed. Um, <laughs> um, so, it's, it's great. The second series of that just came out mm -hmm. uh, this week, maybe. I think so, uh, yeah. Yeah, I think so. Um, so yeah, be, I'll be surprised. There's some books we have, and um, I thought would be moderate sellers have been great sellers, you know. And some books I thought would be, you know, low sellers have been moderate sellers. Um, we had a book recently coming out called um, Cross to Bear. Okay. With you no, know, from American, it says two creation uh, creators, writer and artist. I'll be honest, and it's a western with Jack the Ripper. I thought I liked the book. Mm -hmm. I thought it would be a not a big seller and it more than double what I thought about double what I thought I predicted would do so I like to be wrong on that kind of occasion it's the only time I like to be wrong is when I'm underestimating words certainly so um, another thing you uh, folks have done recently launched uh, all ages line seismic press mm -hmm. uh, started with, I believe with uh, Rainbow Bridge from the uh, Steve's Fox in Orlando uh, yep. how is that section side of things going so far well, it's, it's, we have to get our foot in the door. You know, it's, uh, Rainbow Bridge came out and it's done moderately well. Uh, our next one is going to be Fearbrook Club from um, one of the creators of uh, How to Train Your Train Your Dragon. Cool. And that comes out you know, after the first year, sometime. Uh, it's going to. You know, I like to see bigger sales, mm -hmm. but I, I see these books as 
evergreen titles. Mm -hmm. So all your money is going to be, all your sales will be up front. They should be long term. Mm -hmm. So just as long as we're going with that mindset, we have to grow the brand and grow this, the comics. Uh, it's exciting. So I think the YA market and the you know, middle grade school market is a market we need. You know, most of us grew up in comics, uh, started reading in the early age. And let's be honest, most of the comics today aren't made for that age group. Mm -hmm. A lot more mature, which, you know, they grew with us. And uh, so we need that, that uh, opening to get people ex into the business. And there's definitely still a lot of untapped potential in that exactly. market. Absolutely. Uh, looking ahead to 2022, what are some of the things that you can talk about uh, that, you know, we can look forward to from, from Aftershock? Oh, wow. Well, uh, well, I can talk about it. Yeah. So there's a lot of things that aren't announced. You know, so yeah. I say we will have revisitations from some of our, our first creators coming back and maybe bringing back the original product that we had first year. Okay. That uh, I've been sitting around for a little bit. All right. Uh, a lot of people have been asking for a returns of some series, and that might be happening. All right. Uh, also, going forward, you know, just finding the best new voices out there we have while mixing in that batch of you know voices you already know and love uh, I think we have a very happy medium for buying for new voices and established voices um, so you know unfortunately we'll have more stuff from Garth Ennis you know? <laughs> yeah he's one of my uh, better friends and I like to tease him as chance I get his war story's got to go somewhere right yeah, that's right yeah it's like <laughs> pretty much pretty also he do a war story then he'll do a new series a war story a new series we have a nice balance going mm -hmm. So it keeps them happy, and it keeps us happy because I like I love working with them. And um, I'm trying to think what else we have coming. I know we live coming back. We've already announced there'll be a couple more, more relaunch uh, second arcs for new series that have been doing really well for us. And uh, people who've been working with us are bringing us brand new stuff all over again. And as far as the film and TV side of things, which is not my department, but I hear every week about, um, exciting. That's all I can say right now. It's very exciting stuff going on, on that side. Uh, I care about publishing, and everything else is uh, gravy for me. Mm -hmm. But the reality is, you know, film and TV is big business, sure. and that could that could pay for all the publishing we want to do mm -hmm. in the comics. So I, I want it to happen, so I can keep doing stuff I love to do over here. But we have some really big um, deals that are done or on on the runway to be done uh, very quickly that you'll be seeing after the first of the year now. So to be Exciting stuff. Okay. Uh, final question: What? Who's? Uh, who is a creator? Either somebody who's been around uh, at AfterShock for a while, or somebody you've got coming down the pike that we should be keeping an eye on, a close eye on uh, in the next year. A creator we have that we haven't had before. Uh, it could be either. It could be somebody you know you guys have had in the stable for a while, or, or somebody who's just coming up in the last couple <clears throat> of years or next year. Oh huh, well, pretty much. Everybody we've been working the last couple of years continue to work with us, you know. Okay, okay. So uh, that's not a problem. All I said, bringing back from the older, the old guard, I would say. Okay. But always reaching out and grabbing a new guard. Um, there's some people who are legendary, you know, in both comics and maybe even in novels that I've had conversations with uh, that might be doing some stuff for us. And as well as you know, a lot of people on the, like my friend uh, Aaron Douglas from Master Galactica, actor, who's getting his teeth cut on uh, doing comic books for us now. Okay. And uh, he wants, he's sent me two more pictures last week to look at. So he's excited about that and, and bringing his friends in uh, to do stuff. So uh, 
there's so many exciting things happening. You know, uh, it's hard to keep up. <laughs> I'm excited. I'm, I can't wait for it to share everything with you. Right on. Well, Joe, I appreciate you taking the time to chat with me. No problem. I appreciate you having me. All right. Have a good show. You too. And I'm world class. I like running, but I love to get the pass. I practice all day and dance all night. I gotta get ready for the Sunday fight. All right, uh, so I'm at the table with uh, three time past guest on the show, Stephanie Phillips. Stephanie, how are you? How's your con going here on Saturday? Yeah, no, it's awesome. C2E2 is like one of my favorite shows, so when this was coming back, it was, uh, yeah, I was really excited to get the invite, get to come back to Chicago. So. Have you been doing the, uh, the circuit that? all the shows are crammed into uh, the last two months? Um, I mean, kind of. I, I was trying to space them out a bit. Like, I, my, my theory was, like, if I give at least a month in between shows that I could, like, go home and kind of quarantine myself for a little bit, make sure it was safe before going to another and not end up being, like, the spreader or something. Like, sure, sure. As much as that's, like, a really great villain name, like, the spreader. <laughs> um, or it Someone's sounds, thought of it in the last two years. Yeah, but it was probably used for something not villainous and more innuendo related but um, uh, a guy who sits on the subway with his legs <laughs> open yeah <laughs> for that yeah um, no i've been trying to space them out a bit but uh yeah chicago is my always been my like long time favorite so um, that, that's great uh so you've got a whole stack of uh copies of, of wonder woman evolution number one sitting in front of you. Uh, every time you've been on the show, it's like you've been attached to bigger and bigger projects. We love to see it. Uh, last year, we, we talked all about uh, Harley Quinn, which you're still doing with Raleigh Rosmo on art. Fantastic. Uh, talk a little bit about the opportunities you've got right now between Wonder Woman Evolution, you're also doing the uh, Arkham Tower backups in uh, Detective. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's it's awesome, like growing up with, with these characters. And I, I really think for some reason, like Wonder Woman in my mind was like the point at which if I was writing Wonder Woman, I will have kind of felt like I've made it. I definitely don't feel like I've, I've made it, like that feeling was not accompanied, but there's definitely like a goal achieved. With like Wonder Woman is this thing where like I came into comics because I really wanted to write Diana and now I've written her quite a few times doing uh, like digital first series, some anthology stories, and now my own mini series. And it's, it's really cool to get to work on her, um, you know, taking on Batman and the backups of uh, Detective Comics. Like I was telling the editor, uh, seeing my name on the cover of a Detective Comics book is just kind of surreal. Like it's Detective Comics. Like that's, yeah. that's Detective Comics. Like I don't know, it's really cool. Um, and you know, Harley obviously, like, um, you know, we're keeping us for 2022 and uh, we're doing some really different stuff with her in 22, um, kind of getting getting room to make this even bigger than it has been like uh you know I, I can't say too much about what we're doing of but course. it's going to be different uh it's going to be kind of its own thing and there will be so much harley in 2022 <laughs> uh which i i'm really thrilled about um you know some new artists uh, new characters new things going on with harley so uh yeah i think it's gonna be a really cool that is, that's fantastic. Uh, glad to hear it. Now, uh, you did a uh, Wonder Woman panel yesterday at the show, right? Yeah. Uh, how, did, how did that go? What kind of stuff did you guys get to talk about? Yeah, um, I mean, listening to, to people like Joelle Jones and, and Stephanie Williams talking about the incontinuity Wonder Woman is, is awesome. Like, you know, I'm super excited for uh, Trial of the Amazons, yep. uh, which, you know, I've known a little bit about from behind the scenes and just hearing these creators talk about it. And it's like, as a fan, I'm super excited for that. Because um, I love Diana, so seeing her get this, and not just her, like the Amazon cast, like yep. you know, the way that that family has 
fat woman and the fat girls or, or Jason, the Robins. Like you have this extended cast that people love and Diana has that too, where they're all really cool and unique. And um, I think the current host of creators are just like amplifying that. And I'm really excited to see that. And it's cool to, you know, I wonder, our Wonder Woman is out of continuity and kind of on its own mm -hmm. island, we'll say. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, it, it's still cool to be working on Diana while she's really at this moment getting so much good attention and she should like you know she's incredible yeah. uh, no that is that is great stuff actually we uh we just did an episode with stephanie williams uh a couple weeks ago and yeah. listening to her uh you know talk about nubia uh the book that she's writing and, and how she's getting to play with these characters especially as somebody who's moved the scene it's just you know it's it's heartening is what is what it is yeah oh she was really amazing to listen to on that panel too like i mean the passion and enthusiasm is always something that drives me to a book like um you know i've said it before like listening to teeny howard talk about um she's taking over catwoman right. soon and like her pitching that to me like at a convention like we were just talking about like the enthusiasm that she brought telling that like i could not be more excited to read that issue that first issue that teeny takes over like that's going to be so cool and you know same with with stephanie like that's somebody that you listen to and you're like wow I don't know what it is, but I gotta go read it because, like, that enthusiasm was really infectious. Now, uh, in the meantime, while you're becoming one of the, the pillars of, of DC <laughs> uh, DC writers, uh, you've also got uh, We Only Kill Each Other coming out right now from yeah. Comixology Originals. Uh, tell people a little bit about that book and, yeah. and why, if they, if, they, if, if they like you, they'll read it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I hope so. Um, <laughs> Or maybe they can still hate me and read it. I'm cool with that. Um, uh, will... Money's still green, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, We Only Kill Each Other is about uh, Jewish American gangsters in 1938 New York City. And um, they're kind of embroiled in this really violent turf war. And uh, they are kind of asked to go on a, a kind of a weird mission where they have to take on the American Nazi movement together. Oh, um, love it. So I, I won't spoil how they end up like winding up in that situation because uh, issue one just came out and doesn't quite reveal that yet. Issue uh -huh. two comes out this coming Tuesday okay. um, on Comixology. Uh, but yeah, it's um, you know it's something that I really wanted to look at where there's a historical. I've done historical fiction before, but yep. what we did here was almost like alternate history, which I've really never done. Um, so it starts out. You know, all the characters are fictitious, but um, it starts with something that actually did happen. Like, Jewish American gangsters were asked to go beat up Nazis in New York City, which was really cool. I appreciate that. Um, but we kind of took it and decided, like, what if we turned that on its head and made it, like, a much more momentous thing that happened with higher stakes? And what if it turned out a little differently than it did? Like, all of this is in the lead-up to World War II, so that's looming in the background. Um, and New York City itself, I really wanted that to be like a character on its own in the story. So yeah, um, Peter Krause, his artwork, and Ellie Wright's colors, they've just been exceptional to work with. That, that's a great team, and uh, you know, I, I, I love this sort of American theater, almost inglorious bastards kind of take on it. Yes. Uh, that, that, that's awesome. Um, what is something uh, that you can talk about at this stage that you are excited for that you're working on in 2022? Ooh, um, it's, uh, yeah, it's hard. I don't think a lot has been announced yet. Yeah. Um, I will have a new creator-owned book uh, with 
with somebody I haven't worked with that looks unlike any other creator-owned thing I've done, not just in terms of artwork, but uh, like topic and things like that. It is unlike any of my other creator-owned. So I'm, I'm excited to put that out. Um, some of the Harley stuff we're doing that we haven't announced, but you know, knowing that I'm staying on Harley for all of 2022 is, is really cool. Like, uh, I think Riley and I are just really comfortable right now in the way that we work. And uh, like, you know, I'm somebody that like, I hate literally everything I do. I'm like never satisfied, but I feel like Riley and I are in this groove right now where it's like each time I write a Harley script and, and I see the art and we like, we're collaborating on this, it's like, I feel like we're getting even better. And so I'm glad that we have that room to like keep playing with the character. So uh, yeah, I'm excited about that. Excited about more Wonder Woman coming out. Awesome. And then finally, you are a person with a lot of uh, hobbies outside of comics, uh, <laughs> hockey, MMA, right? <laughs> I think guitar. Uh, yeah. You know, what are you what are you doing right now to kind of blow off steam? Uh, you know, when when you finally break away from the computer for a hot second. <laughs> um, yeah, that's something that I've had to like force into <laughs> my routine. Um, I moved back to Florida recently, um, and I just decided like. Uh, I, I mean, I, of course, I want to fight again, just my body doesn't. Uh, uh -huh. So that's, you know, body and mind not uh, not being in sync there. Um, sure. Like, I would love to. The other side of that is fighting is like a full-time career. Like, I, I mean, the amount of time I had to spend in the gym sure. to make that happen um, was a little too much for, you know, now having a full-time job of, like, writing all day, every day. So um, so my, my happy medium, like, you know, I, I decided I still want the training that I used to do when I was fighting. So. Um, yeah, I, I, uh, I get up like stupid early now and go to like a special performance training gym like four mornings a week and then I go to the Muay Thai gym and uh, hit pads in the afternoons. Uh, so it's, yeah, so that I can like make myself as sore as possible. And <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, and I'm hopefully gonna get back into hockey soon. I'm recovering from a concussion. So yeah, my, oh, oh, my wow. body has just given, given up. It's like, we're, why are you doing this? Like, why are you still trying to hurt us? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's where we're at. <laughs> uh, well, uh, you know, we, we are, you know, we, we, we love talking to you every time. We're very happy for your success. Oh, thank you. um, we are genuinely afraid that you can kick our asses. <laughs> um, but thank you so much for yeah, uh, giving us you. a little time here. I appreciate it. Thanks. That's it for this week's show. As a reminder, WMQ&A is part of Comics XF where you can find this podcast, along with our sister podcasts, Battle of the Atom, Chris's on Infinite Earths, and the new Bat Chat with Matt and Will, co-hosted by our own Matt Lazowitz and our bud Will Nevin. You can listen to WMQA on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Amazon Music, Audible, and at ComicsXF.com, where new episodes move Tuesday mornings. You can support WMQA at Patreon.com slash WMQComics, where a dollar donation gets you early access to episodes, Shoutouts on the podcast and a customized bonus reading column written by Matt Lazowitz, built around the character, creator, or theme of your choice. A $2 donation gets you a free random comic in the mail for my collection. A $3 donation gets you a slot in the Comics XF staff picks. And a $50 donation lets you advertise on the show. Big thanks to our patrons, Charlie Davis from the Match Club podcast, Robert Secundus from Toxman at Comics XF, Carla Pacheco from Marvel's Spider-Woman series, Kat Purcell from Comics XF, and Asimov Fangirl, a.k.a. The Loyalist Content Consumer. You can follow WMQ&A on Twitter at WMQComics, me at Daniel P. Grote, Matt Lazowitz at MattLaz1013, and ComicsXF at ComicsXF. And until next week, remember, when there was one set of footprints in the sand, 
that's when the Hulk carried you. We're so bad, we know we're good. Blowing your mind like a new year's word. You know we're just 